and for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you love us greatly. And I thank you that you've opened our hearts by your Holy Spirit for the truth of your gospel, that we can understand it and that we can have insight into it and then have the purpose of it, which is to experience your life and the fruit it brings forth. That is all by you and nothing else. Thank you for that, Lord. And thank you that you speak powerfully through me today. Amen. I would like to welcome everybody that is watching for the first time. Uh, this web church is all about teaching the gospel and also providing a place where like-minded people gather around the word and where they encourage one another in the gospel. So uh, I want you to know that you're only going to hear the message of grace today and grace defined as the message wherein God is not dealing with you based on your ability to please him, but he's dealing with you on the basis of him empowering you so that you can share in his life wherein all the glory belongs to God and that he by his glory will glorify you to share in his life. So it's not a works sin conscious message, but it's a message that focuses on what God has come to do for us. So many times in the church um, in broad, we have our focus on what we need to do for God so that we can uh, get God to bless us or that we can be acceptable for him so that we can have a place in heaven one day. The message that you're going to hear today and every Sunday as you slot in here or uh, going to my website and listening to all my messages, be it via YouTube, it is all focused on God and what he does, has done and is doing for us today. It is not sin conscious it is god's power his grace his resurrection power conscious so all of our first time viewers i want you to know that this is what it is all about and then to our regular viewers thank you for slotting in and allowing me to serve you again with a message today our custom is to have communion together but uh, because i'm thinking we might go a little bit over the time uh, in our message today, I am not going to do communion together. So we're going to get right into the message. Now, the title of the message is basically anti-Semitism and the gospel of Paul. Paul's message might sound anti-Semitic. Now, some of you might say, what is anti-Semitism? That's a big word. You have maybe not heard of that. Now, anti-Semitism is simply meaning you're anti semitic people or the way we understand it today or the way wikipedia would um, basically define it is to be anti the jewish people to be hostile towards them uh, something like what hitler was he was definitely anti-semitic but in today's um, thinking towards anti-semitism or anything that is anti-jew we would, I mean, we are so scared that what has happened with the Germans or between the Germans and the Jews with Hitler and, 
and the Jews that it should never happen again, that we are very scared of saying anything negative uh, about the Jewish people, which I also believe that um, <laughs> brings us to a place where it would be difficult for us to truly understand what the Apostle Paul has said. Because there's a lot of things that he seemingly, say, that he says which is seemingly anti-Semitic or anti-the Jewish people. And when we look at Romans chapter 2, and one of the titles of the message that I've had there was, I think two weeks ago, the, the judgment of God towards the Jews. Now just saying or just titling a message like that will immediately cause dislikes uh, on your YouTube videos and negative comments and so forth without any person listening to the message. Now when we look at the Apostle Paul and what he said to the Jews, it might today even be judged as very anti-the Jewish people. But was Paul truly anti-the Jewish people? Was he against the Jewish people? He said things like, your circumcision has become an uncircumcision, which to the Jews would sound like, and it was basically what he said is, you were the people of God, but you're not the people of God anymore. Now, if I would go today and say that the Jewish people are not the people of God, uh, it would sound very anti-Semitic. It would sound as if I'm saying that God has rejected the Jews. Now, the Apostle Paul in Romans states that, and we're still going to get to that chapter, he basically states that the Jews were called the vessel of dishonor. The vessel of dishonor. Now, imagine I go out and I say to a certain people group, let us put it in today's terms, so that people can understand the power of what Paul was saying in Romans. Imagine I go and I say that uh, blacks are um, vessels of dishonor. Used by God as vessels of dishonor. And you can get yourself in jail for saying something like that. Uh, you know, you, you, you're not allowed to say something like that because it is called racism or it's a racistic remark. Yet the Apostle Paul comes in his understanding of the gospel and he calls the Jews vessels of dishonor. He, he tells them that uh, you are sinners. He basically comes and says that their circumcision is an uncircumcision. And what they would have heard was, uh, they would, it would be borderlining to or bordering to blasphemy against God. For they knew that the scriptures states that Israel is the apple of his eye. Israel is my son. But now it says that God has basically rejected his son, that he is not the son anymore. Now what does that mean? Paul comes and he says, he is not a Jew, he is one outwardly, but one that is one inwardly. He goes on in other places and he says, not all that are of Israel are Israelites saying that the physical Jewish people is not the Israel of God. Now that is really anti-Semitic statements that he is making. Now why would Paul make such statements and what was he trying to communicate in that message? Now we're going to look at that today and I trust that this will 
help you to understand uh, the depths of the simplicity of the gospel. The Bible says that we should not, like Eve, be deceived from the simplicity that there is in Jesus Christ. It's a, this message is very simple. And today we're going to look at this, this, the simple gospel in Romans. Now I want to start off and... Um, and what we're going to say today basically is, and I think let us start with the end and then extrapolate and explain it. At the end, what I'm going to tell you is that Paul was not anti-Semitic, but to a person who puts his trust in the flesh or think that he is special as a certain people group, it would definitely qualify as anti-Semitic. But Paul was actually for the Jewish people, and he wanted the Jewish people to be saved. That's why he came and he put a focus on the uselessness, if you can use that, or how useless uh, boasting in your flesh is before God. What Paul was basically saying was it's absolutely useless to stand before God and think that you've got... Uh, a ticket into salvation or unto salvation just because in the flesh you are a, of a certain people group or in this case if you think you are of the stock of Israel or a Jew. If you think that or believe that it means absolutely nothing and he says that it also means basically nothing to God for being a Jew in the flesh cannot save you Nothing can save you outside of Jesus and him bringing forth life to you. Okay, now let's go to Romans 3.1. I mean, it's very simple, but Romans 3.1 follows from Romans chapter 2. And in Romans chapter 2, Paul came and he said something very powerful. And I want to read from verse 23. This is not in the notes, but you can jot this down. This is Romans 2 verse 23. It says, um, verse 22 you say that a man should not commit adultery and do you commit adultery you say that you should not abhor idols but do you commit sacrilege you that make your boast in the law through breaking the law dishonor God so what he's saying is basically you boast in the law you say God is our God and he gave us the law. And these Gentiles should serve our God, for he is the only true God. And they, these Gentiles, are dishonoring God in not worshiping him by worshiping idols. But now Paul comes and he says here that uh, you that are not obeying the law, that the God you say you have gave you, are you not dishonoring God basically in the very same way as what the Gentiles dishonor God? So he is basically um, defaming them here, telling them that you are just as bad as the Gentiles. You are in the same sinking ship. And it goes on in verse 24, uh, For the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles through you, as it is written. So he's quoting a passage now saying that the scripture states that God is blasphemed through you and you are dishonoring God. Now imagine how terrible that would be. That Imagine I go today and I say, 
Listen, I want to just say to the Jewish people that um, you that make your boast in the flesh and in the law, the scripture says that the heathen nations are blaspheming God because of you. Man, that would be a terrible thing to say. We cannot even think of saying that um, today, not publicly, because you can get into deep trouble for that. But here we find the Apostle Paul saying it. Now, was he anti-Semitic? No, he was for the Jewish people and he wanted to remove a wrong mindset from them because he loves them and he wants them to be saved. For God has not rejected his people, meaning since they've disobeyed the Lord in not doing what God has told them to do through the law, in their disobedience, that has not disabled God to bring salvation to them as well. And through Jesus Christ, as what Jesus is away unto the Gentiles, or for the Gentiles, unto eternal life, he also provided the same Jesus now as a way to the Jews, wherein the Jews does not have to bear the burden anymore of being the Jewish people, having physical circumcision, and therefore have access to the law, and now they stand under the law to do all the commandments of the law and all the, I mean, everything that goes with that. It's actually Paul showing and having a love for the people of God. But to the Jew, it would sound as if this guy hates me. And to the person that would, that would um, honor someone in the flesh, the Gentile then, if you want to call it like that, that thinks the Jew is special because he is a Jew, which we find today in the church everywhere. I've seen it. I remember I was like that um, years ago until I started to understand the true gospel, where I would think, man, this person is a Jew, and there's just something special. He's got a, because he's a Jew, just a mind that connects with God and he understands the old customs very well and he just knows God kind of a bit better. He's the, he's the real Rolex and I am the fake one, although we look the same, but glory to God, we can now be put in the same showcase. Uh, but as I start to understand the true gospel, I found that God loves all people the same and that he's not going to discriminate against the Jewish people and tell them that you find your righteousness in the flesh uh, and the rest just have it by grace. No, he is a loving God that's going to give it to all people the same. Yet we find that Paul's approach in Romans is very harsh to the Jewish ear and to the person who loves the Jewish system, even if he's a Gentile, which we have in the church today. Okay, so... Uh, Paul goes on in verse 25 and he says, uh, for, for circumcision verily profits if you keep the law. But if you be a breaker of the law, your circumcision is made uncircumcision. Now that is really saying, saying a lot. Saying, imagine today I go and I say to the Jewish people, and say to them, can you keep the whole law? If he says no, then I tell him, then you're not the people of God. Then you are just uh, like a filthy heathen. Now, people say, never should we say that. But here the Apostle Paul comes and he says that. Uh, but why is he saying that? 
he breaks down the whole traditional Jewish system where the Jews make their boast in the flesh in such a powerful way in Romans that he has to answer the question which would then come naturally come to the Jewish mind which we find in Romans 3 verse 1 and the question would be what advantage then has the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision because he immediately knows the Jewish people would say well so God has given, you want to say that, this is what the Jew would say, Paul, you want to say that we as Jews, we are not the special people of God. You want to say that we cannot boast in our flesh. You want to say that we are just as much sinners as the Gentiles. So you want to tell me that everything that God had shown us and all the things that God has spoken to us, the whole promise that comes from Abraham and everything that happened through Moses and how he led us out, that means nothing? Do you want to tell me that there's no advantage? What advantage is there then in, in being a Jew? <laughs> what profit is there in being a Jew? That is the question. Now, before we ask that question, I want you to keep in mind of where the whole debate started. It started in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 to 17 where Paul said that the gospel, the message that Jesus was raised from the dead is the power of God unto salvation to whosoever believes, be he a Jew or a Gentile. And then he went on and he establishes and explains the, uh, the, the wrath of God over humanity wherein it said that should you uh, want to live by your own power and you don't find the life of God in you it means that God is not involved and God is not pulling your wagon he is not giving you life and that is a sign that you in yourself are not you don't have God and that you are in need of God and whosoever then calls on God and don't trust in his own power, be a Jew or a Gentile, will have salvation as a free gift. We need to understand that's where it comes from. Okay, so he's continuing to now answer the, the whole of chapter 2, the, especially the latter part, into chapter 3. He is, he as a Jew would reason with the Jew that he is himself and uh, know what the natural Jewish mind would say, which would be like in verse chapter 3, verse 1 here is, the Jews would immediately say, so what advantage is there then in being a Jew? Because God has given us all these things. And then Paul answers that. He says in verse 2, much in every way, but mainly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now, uh, when we look at verse uh, th uh, uh, chapter 3 verse 1 there says what advantage that word advantage is also used in John 10 verse 10 it says the thief comes not but to steal to kill to destroy but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly that word more abundantly is the same word as advantage what he's basically saying in John 10.10 10 there is that the thief has come to steal, to kill, destroy, but I've come to give them life and that they may have um, the advantage of life. 
the advantage of living from the life source that God has provided. That is what they're basically saying. They're saying, what benefit is there for us? What advantage is there for us in being Jews? And what Paul says, he says, in every way, it is an advantage for you as what it is an advantage to know God for every nation, but chiefly the main thing, um, the main thing that will that makes you different from the other people is simply that the oracles of God was given to you. Now we all know what an oracle is. An oracle is a medium, or an oracle is a prophet or a priest. So what he says here is the oracles, the message that God has given via a mediator, the message that God has given via priests, via prophets, it was given unto you. And the advantage that you had was that you had this message, which was now the message of Jesus and his death and his resurrection, wherein we will not be saved by our works, but by reliance upon him. That was the advantage, and that's basically what he is saying there. What advantage? Now, we can go and look at 1 Peter 1, verse 10 to 12, and we're not going to go into that now, but um, I've just put it in there in the notes for you to go and read up a bit later. But 1 Peter 10, verse 10 to 12, simply says that there were prophets that looked at these oracles of God, that looked at these prophetic words, and they wanted to know when these things are now going to take place, when are they going to manifest. So, what advantage does the Jew have? Simply this, to them were given the message. What makes them special? Well, they were the messengers. But the message they carried for the Gentiles was the very same message for them. And they thought that being a messenger is what saves you. In the same way as what I've said in the previous two Sundays, imagine a, a, a policeman thinks because the message of the law, the, laws, the country's law, was given unto him, and he can now go and enforce this law, if he thinks that because he's got the message, that the message is not for him, and that it puts him in a different category, wherein he is not subject to that message, we will find that he he would be in trouble very soon. He would simply be in error. He would simply believe a lie and he will not have true freedom. And that is what Paul is saying here. So if you go to a police officer and you say to him, police officer, I want to tell you something, that the fact that you are here as an officer of, uh, 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 as a representative of the court or of the country's law or whatever, does not make you above the law. And you are also not allowed to speed. You are also not allowed to drive, to text and drive or any of those things. Now, if you tell that to that police officer, what is he going to do? He's going to become very upset. Uh, that's just the natural thing to do. And he would think that you are against him. He would immediately think, who are you to tell me that? Don't you know that I am special? as pertaining to the law. No, he is not special as pertaining to the law. He is under the law. But what advantage does he have? He was trained in the law and in the application of the law, so he had the he's got the only advantage, the only thing that he has that makes him different from anything else or anyone else is the fact that he has that message and that he carries that message to other people. So 
as much as what a police officer is not exempt from obedience to the law, that he had, that is subject to that, in the very same way, when Paul comes and he, in his writing in Romans here, he, he and he basically breaks down the system in telling the Jews, hey, you are as much subject to the law as anyone else. The law is actually written for you, we can see that later on, so that you, as the people of God, can also know that you are as much sinners as what the Gentiles are, so that you can know that since God has chosen you to carry the message, that the message is also for you, condemning you to the point where you have to say, by my own power I cannot be saved, I need a Savior. That is how it is. Um, I mean, the law that's given to the police officer is also given for him because inside him is also a will to speed and a will not to stop at the traffic light. And as he, um, as he now applies that law to other people, as he applies that where the other people don't stop, where the other people speed, that very same message is preaching to him, telling him, you also in need of salvation from speeding and not stopping properly. You also in need of salvation from being delivered from the temptation of texting and driving and whatsoever. Um, so I think that basically settles verse, uh, verse three, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Now let's go to verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Because now this is a next question that's in the Jewish mind. The first question was, well, if God did all of this through us, what benefit is there for us? Do you want to tell me this has got no benefit, that we're not special? Then Paul says, well, the only thing that made you special is that you were the carriers of the message, which were for all people as well as unto you. That's the only thing that makes you special. But you're not special unto the point where you don't need uh, the Savior to save you from sin and death. You're not special to the point where you are exempt from death and sin, uh, just because you are in the flesh circumcised and of the stock of Israel. Okay, verse 3. For what if some of them did not believe? This is now a next question Paul uh, addresses here. What if some did not believe, or you'll see I put it in small there, have faith or have been unfaithful? Shall their unbelief or unfaithfulness make the faith or the faithfulness of God without effect? So the next thing the Jew is saying says, oh, okay. So what you are now saying is um, that if, if we are seen as unfaithful, if we are rejected as the people of God, what that means is, since God has promised that he through the, Jew, through the Jewish people will bring salvation to all nations, that should the Jewish people be rejected as and unfaithful, that immediately means that God cannot keep his promise. Because if God rejects the Jews and the promise is that through the Jews, God is going to bring salvation to the Gentiles and the Jew is now rejected as the people of God, that means that God cannot save all people. He cannot or bring salvation to all nations. That is what is in the mind of the Jew and Paul is now addressing that. Now let's read that again. It says, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith, or the faith, faithfulness should be seen as God's faithfulness to provide salvation to the nations? Shall their, faith, their 
unbelief make the faithfulness of God to bring salvation to all nations without effect. That is what he's basically addressing here. The Jew would say, well, it is impossible that God will say to us that we are not the special people of God. Because should God say that, it means that he cannot save the nations and is going back on his word that he promised Abraham and promised through Moses and all those kind of things. So it is impossible that we cannot be the people of God. Now, Paul addresses that and he says, do you think that God cannot still fulfill his promise even if you are rejected as the special people of God but that you fall into the category of all people are the special people of God? He says, man, God's faithfulness cannot stop. He can still accomplish that in the midst of the disobedience of the Jews. And how did God do that? He got one Jew called Jesus, and that Jew was called the faithful Israelite. And through his faithfulness, God, through the Jewish nation or through a Jew, brought forth what is promised in the beginning. So God did fulfill his promise. Therefore, all the other Jewish people that were unfaithful in the midst of their unfaithfulness, God was faithful and it still fulfilled what he has promised. Therefore, there is no need for these people to stand in their own faithfulness to the law anymore. And they are now actually released from all these heavy burdens and they are now at a place where they simply have to trust God that God can give salvation to them from physical death and sin by his doing. That is all. That's how simple it is. Now, in verse 3, you'll see point A there. It says, and I, I wrote this in the notes there, it says, we need to remember that chapter 2, uh, remember chapter 2 in order to, we need to remember chapter 2 in order to understand this verse. In chapter 2, the Jews were defamed by not obeying the law to the level of Gentiles that is lost and without God in this world according to Paul's reasoning. Go and see Romans 2 verse 23 to 25. Uh, be there, Jew, for what? And we're going to read that. What then if some of them did not believe? If some of the Jewish nation have abused their privileges and acted contrary to their obligations, shall their wickedness annul the promise of God made unto Abraham, that he would, by an everlasting covenant, be a God to him and to his seed after him, including the Gentiles? We can go and read that in Genesis 17 verse 7. Shall God, therefore, by stripping the Jews from their peculiar honor, as you know he will and has done, falsify his promise to the nations including the jewish nation because some of the jews had were bad men no he's not he's still gonna save both jew and gentile but not through the jew boasting in his flesh now i'm saying this because and and the apostle paul found it very uh, needful to mention this because what he wants to do is he wants to break all people groups down to the point where the law tells the Gentiles you are worshipping the wrong God and is telling the Jews that you are not truly worshipping God you're dishonoring him and that all people are therefore now sinners and the only thing that can save a man 
is God's faithfulness towards man. That's the only thing. And that's what he wants to establish. So that he can bring his point that he made in Romans 1 uh, uh, clear, saying that all people are simply saved by grace through faith and nothing else. That is what he's saying. But he's, he has to address this in a very complex way. Well, it sounds complex to the Gentiles or to us that are non-Jews. But it's actually very simple for a Jewish person to understand that. Um, so he was just thinking, what could these Jews ask? And let me answer that. And that, what, that is what he was doing. Point C there, the argument is that the Jews cannot be rejected. Should that be the case, God would be unfaithful, which we all know is not the case. So I think in points A to C there, it's clear on what Paul is addressing in verse 3. It is very difficult to see it that way if you don't put yourself into what Paul was thinking at that moment in being a true Jew. If you, if you don't think inside the shoes of being fully Jew and understand what it's all about, you will never understand Romans 3. It would be impossible. We would not understand the wrath of God. We would not understand any of those things unless you put yourself fully into the Jewish understanding of what wrath is, uh, how wrath works, put it into Adam and Eve, what took place there, we will not understand how beautiful this part of the letter is. Right, let's go to verse 4 there. It says, God forbid, yes, let God be true and every man a liar as it is written that you may be justified in your sayings and might overcome when you are judged. Now, that also sounds complicated, but let me try and explain the simplicity of that. The simple gospel is this. Remember last time what I said. If you believe that there was a man, Jesus, he died, he, was, he physically died, he was physically buried, and that he physically came back from the dead, came in the flesh, physically in the resurrection. And that he is Lord. And that you acknowledge his lordship over you. You shall be saved. If you do that, if you truly believe that from the depth of your heart, you cannot, there's basically nothing I can teach you. There's nothing more I can teach you. All you can have is now a life born from that and from that truth understand the scriptures. But you've already reached the depths, the utter depths of the gospel. You are in salvation, my friend. You're having the very life of God from that belief and from that truth through the belief. Amen. So, um, <clears throat> uh, uh, Paul comes here and, and this is the simple gospel. God said... To Adam and Eve, that you cannot live by your own works. I'm very. I'm not oversimplifying. I just put it as simple as what it is. God said you cannot live by your own works and without me. Man said, God is a liar in believing what the devil told them. They made God out to be a liar. Now God says, if you believe this, <laughs> you are a lie. You are walking in the lie. And you are in sin. So if you say to God, God, you're lying, you're continuing to walk in blasphemy and you're continuing to reject God. But if you say, well, I am a sinner, then at least you've now agreed with God. 
If you say that I cannot live by my own works and I mess up by my own works, I am flooded with sin and death by my own power, you've now agreed with God. And you have now not, you've declared God to speak the truth. And now in the day that you are judged, when, and he's using an example here. In the day when you are judged, when it says, you are a sinner, if you can say, yes, I am, and you are the Savior, what would you do? You would overcome in the day of your judgment. Why? Because you truthfully answered and agreed with God. So to me, if I can confess my sin, meaning I can confess it is impossible for me to be saved by my own works. I confess that I cannot obey the law. I confess that in myself I don't have eternal life. I confess that Jesus became sin and had to die because I am too weak to bring salvation to myself and I will never be able to live a little bit, even a little bit of holiness by my own power. If it's not his gift, I cannot. I in myself, like that man that was uh, beating on his chest, he says, be merciful to me, a sinner. When, I, when you say that, what are you doing? You are agreeing with God because God's, God's knowledge about man is that man is missing the mark. Man in his own ability can never make it. That does not cause God to reject man. The fact that man has that weakness wherein he can only live by the power of God, that is not offensive to God. What God does not want is for us to say, God, you're a liar. I can live by my own power and I will not trust in you. God is not in favor of that and he is against that. And that is what the Bible also calls um, uh, 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 frustrating the grace of God, grieving the Holy Spirit. That means the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of life, comes to you as a free gift, and now you don't want the free gift because you want to continue in the law. You want to continue by your own works, and you are not willing to come to the place wherein you say, well, let God be true and every man a liar. Okay, let's go to verse 4 again. I hope that gives a bit of an introduction on what verse 4 is all about. Verse 4 says again, God forbid, yes, let God be true and every man a liar, as it's written, that you may be justified in your sayings and that you may overcome when you are judged. So if you say, I have been a liar in thinking that I am special because I'm of Jewish descent, I've lied it's not true. In saying that, you have now <laughs> overcome in your saying. How? Because you've now acknowledged the truth in believing what God says. Paul uses the passage in point A there, verse 4. Paul uses the passage in Psalm 51 verse 4 as a way out of declaring that you are a sinner in the presence of God. The only correct thing you can do is to say you are wrong and so may God out as the one that is right. This is what it's all about from the beginning, clearly seen in the story of Adam and Eve. Wow, glory to God. Uh, you know, it is, if you don't get this at this moment, it's not a problem. What you do is, and I think 
many of us come and we just sit and we hear what Romans, we, we, we read Romans 3 together now, and, but you're not familiar with Romans 3. Go and read through the whole of chapter 2 and the whole of chapter 3 if you have time. And if you don't like to read, let your wife read it to you if she likes to read. If, if the wife doesn't like to read, let the husband read it. Or someone, let, read it together. Get an audio Bible. Just let it read through Romans 1, 2, and 3 that you can just get a bit of a, a, a bigger picture. And this will make a lot of sense. Now, we're not going to go into verse 5. This is just going into another question, which he basically says, but if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous to take vengeance? So what he's basically saying is, well, if we've rejected God, we can just answer this one um, uh, quickly. The next question a Jew would have is, well, if we as Jewish people, let's, he would, they would say like this, let's reason like this. We want to stay the special people of God. We're not going to let go of this easily. Paul, if your argument is that uh, we are rejected by God and that the goodness of God is now actually seen, that even in our disobedience, his goodness is shown in him remaining faithful in bringing salvation to Gentiles through us and our disobedience, and that God is now actually seen as a very good God through our disobedience. Do you think it's right that he now rejects us as his people? people because we actually made him look good can you see how they are grabbing onto every little uh, afrikaans stroy halm it is like they're grabbing on the like a little bit of straw i don't know what it's called a little bit of nothing to have a point to stay as the special people of god it says let's read verse 5 but if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of god what shall we say is god unrighteous to take vengeance vengeance means to say i'm burning you up as my own people and that is not to literally burn in hell because we find that paul uh, th that god didn't burn up the jewish people physically burning them up but the whole system whereby they were thinking i'm a child of abraham that was burnt up we find that in john uh, the baptist john the baptist says the axe is already laid at the root Every tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down and will be put into the fire and burnt up. And what was he talking about? Next verse says, don't say that you are the children of Abraham or that you have Abraham as your father. Because the physical descent, being in the physical lineage, wherein Abraham was your physical, I mean your forefather, uh, you are of the stock of Israel. If you think that that, you, that can save you, you are wrong, for that cannot bring forth fruit in you. And what he's saying, this family tree of physical descent, the axe is already at the root, and that is being cut out. Why? Because it cannot produce fruit in people. That's why God is now bringing forth a tender plant that comes out of the stem of Jesse, the Bible says, that's growing up and that will become a forest. This plant is Jesus, which will cause fruit in both Jew and Gentile. That is what it's all about. Now, let me end off with this. Was Paul anti-Semitic? No. 
he was not anti-Semitic. And we're going to see as we continue and get into Romans 9 one day that Paul was actually trying to uh, get the Gentile people in Rome not to be anti-Semitic, thinking that God has rejected the Jews to the point that it's impossible for them to even be saved by Jesus. But that Paul was coming and actually standing up in defense of the Jews in the fullness of the letter, but he also, in chapter 2 and 3, breaks down the Jewish mindset, should there be a Jew that thinks, well, I'm special because of my flesh, and he also, I believe, is setting up the Gentiles, because he's luring them in, into them thinking, this Paul guy is very good, he's talking our language, we are anti-Semitic, he's talking our language, we're opening our heart, and as they open their heart in the letter, and you get into chapter uh, 8 and 9, especially chapter 11, uh, 10, 10 mostly, 10 and 11, then he takes out the big whip and he whips the Gentiles in thinking. Now they've already accepted him. They know he understands what we understand. And then he comes and tells them, listen, the salvation is also for the Jews in chapter 11. So did Paul use anti-Semitic language? Definitely. Was he anti-Semitic? No. But was he pro-Jewish flesh? Not at all. He was pro-salvation for all people since all people are under the power of sin and death without God. And that is what it's all about. Well, I want to thank you that you've allowed me to serve you with this message today. I trust that it has blessed you greatly and that it, um, it's great food for thought and that it brings greater understanding to the letter to the Romans. Thank you so much for watching and we will then talk again next week. God bless.